today and welcome to another great message from Mr. Christian Outreach Church. We pray you'll be inspired and equipped by this teaching. For more information on Noosa Christian Outreach Church, please check out our website at noosacoc.org.au. Enjoy. Thank you, Benjamin. All right, you repeat after me. Oh, come, let us adore him. Very simple. It's a very simple life plan, hey? Adoration for the king. I see uh, Bill Howard over there, our newest father in the church. After, is Silas here today? No, he's not here. Let's give Bill, Bill and Sonia that little boy named Silas. And uh, it's, it's great to, to welcome Bill back to, back to us after, I'm sure, many sleepless nights. And I'm sure that will continue for the next 17 or so years. Good on you, mate. Hey, we, one of the things we talked about this year is, is uh, inheritance, and it's been our core theme. And, what, and early on in the year, we spoke about the promises of God and, and how they are our, they're our, they're our source of energy, you know, the promise of eternal life, the promise of liberty, the promise of hope, you know, the, the, the promise that we are adopted. You know, all these promises are, are what drive us and... and, and and they require us to take action based on those promises. And one of our um, had the, the pleasure of having Jackie Benz over for dinner a few few weeks ago, and I, you know I was just asking her question after question because she sp- spent this last year over in Israel. And uh, and what a, I, I encourage you to, to have a chat with her because she's got some amazing stories and insights and experiences. And one of them that blessed me, one, the one that blessed me the most, was that we you know we know the turmoil between between Gaza and, and Israel. And uh, you know what would happen is Gaza would send um, a bomb over into into Israel, and and you know people would people would um, obviously be injured or killed, and then these, these Jewish guys, they would come out straight after it happened and they would dance in the street. Straight after this attack from their, from their enemy on earth, they would come out and dance because they understood a promise that the joy of the Lord is their strength and that no man can rob them of their joy and, no, and, and not even the death of their children or loved ones or friends or compatriots can rob them of their joy if they choose to dance in the name of the Lord. What an amazing story. And, uh, you know, I was, I was so blessed by, by, by hearing Jackie tell me that. I, you know, and she'll probably tell you the, the more refined version of that, that, which is a lot more accurate than my version, I'm sure. But what a... What a what a challenge to us as the people of God to choose to make decisions and to take action and to celebrate and to declare based on what he has promised us, not based on what we are necessarily currently experiencing right now. You see, we're inheritance creators. We create inheritance by responding to what God has promised, not necessarily what we are experiencing right now. Let me read this statement to you. A great life is neither magical nor mysterious. It actually is the natural consequence of consistently taking faithful steps towards your heart's desires based on the promises of God and the wisdom of his principles. You see, we become inheritance creators as we build a life upon his promises. 
His promises are the, they're, they're the pillars that hold us up. They're, they're the pillars that hold us up, and they're the truth, and they're the life in whatever direction that we head. When we're, when we're heading in a direction of life, when we're choosing a career, when we're choosing a loved one, when we're deciding what we're going to do with our life, His promises, they are the way. They are the truth. They are the way and the truth and the life in every direction that we look. We see, I, I want to tell you a little bit about... Um, the people of Israel when they were in Egypt and what God promised them just before he released them. When God used, he used Moses to, to bring the children out of Israel, out of slavery, and he spoke through Moses four promises to the children of Israel. If you want to follow along, it's in Exodus chapter 6. We'll start from verse 5. Before that, God mentions that he had made covenant with Abraham. He had made covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And he'd made covenant that they would inherit this promised land. And right now, Israel, for the last 400 years, have been captive, had been enslaved by the Egyptians. And he's now coming to promise them this new thing and to speak liberty over that people and to release them so that they can go and live in that promised land that he promised their forefathers. Verse 5 says, I have got, The Lord said this, I have heard the groanings of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, Moses, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. Here come the promises. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your Lord. Then he goes on, he says, Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I am the Lord your God that brings you out from under the burdens of your past, of the Egyptians, of whatever, whatever has enslaved you in life. He's, that's his promise to us. You know, only God, too, can give a perfect promise with no thought of it of ever being not followed through on. He's, only he can give you a promise that is perfect, that is just, that has considered all things, that, that if you follow his promise, it will bless the person next to you as much as it will you. And when Jesus died and he rose, he followed through on those promises for us. He made a new covenant with us. You see, we need to learn to trust in the promises of God and stake our whole lives upon them. You see, we, we love the concept of insurance. We love things that we can, we can protect. I've got insurance for my car, and if Kristen borrows it and causes it to have an accident, then there's, then there's insurance money to pay for that. You know what we love insurance when we go on holidays. We love we love to create a nest egg. We love our, our superannuation so that when we retire, we're protected. And he's saying, "Look, these things are good. They're they're good." But he says, "I need you to build your life upon the promises that I have given you." You see, there's a deeper promise. And if we don't have understanding or awareness of what God has already done or what he has already promised us, then we're going to struggle to look at our lives well and we're going to struggle to make good decisions going forward. We need to understand that our confidence and our hope comes in the form of a promise. 
So let's have a quick look at those promises today. Let's have a quick look at those. The first two, they sound very similar. The first one says, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And the second one says, I'll rescue you from their bondage. Out, he'll bring us out from under the burden and he'll rescue you from the bondage. They sound like a very similar, but I want to I wanna challenge you today that they're, that they're very different. I want that one of them is talking about eternal life. And one of them is talking about coming out from under the burden of our past life, of our sin and of those around us. The, the, the eternal life promise, you know, he says simply this. He says, I will rescue you from their bondage. When Jesus came, when he died, when he rose, he says, I will rescue you from the bondage of your sin. It's a rescue mission. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing that you can, that you can put together to, 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 to join with them on. All you've got to do is accept it and get on board. When the, ship, when, when the ship sinks and the lifeboat comes past, all you can do is get on board. You can't shift your attitude. You can't start behaving yourself in the water. You can't do anything. All you've got to do is say, yes, please, I'm on. I'm in. So this promise has got one simple thing, doesn't it? Jesus was clear throughout his ministry that his mission was to seek and to save the lost. To seek and to save the lost. We read in Psalms 40, it says, He lifted me up out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and out of the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. Jesus has done simply this. He says, I have put an offer on the table. And the offer is eternal life. What is your response to my offer? Will you accept it or will you reject it? That's it. That's the source of that promise. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing that will make you worthy enough for that rescue. All you can do is say, thank you, Lord. I accept your gift. I accept that promise. I'm in. The second promise was this slightly different. He says, I will bring you out from under the burden under the weight of the Egyptians. You spend much time thinking about the old days. Some of them were good old days. Some of them were tragic old days. Hey? But the old days, our yesterdays, and the things that have gone behind us are sources of mindsets. They're sources of, of thinking patterns. They're sources of fear. They're things that, that potentially restrain us or challenge us. But he's saying, I actually want to set you free from the burden of old mindsets. I want to set you free from the burden of fear. I want to set you free from the burden of shame and guilt of the decisions of the, of the past. You see, when I read the Bible, uh, the Bible speaks to me. It speaks to a version of me that I don't necessarily always see. It says that I am the righteousness of Christ. It says that, you know, I am holy to be holy as he is holy. And then I, but I, then I look at my life and I feel this tension. I feel this pressure between what I see in my life and what de- God declares over my life. You feel that tension sometimes? We read, this, we read this Bible and Jesus says, you are free. It's for, it is for liberty's sake that I have set you free. And then you look at your life and you feel bound. You feel, you feel like your yesterday is still robbing you of your tomorrow. You feel afraid. You feel the restraint. And, God's, and, and so there's this tension between this book of promises and this life that we see in the mirror every morning. I think I, lo- I love what Ben said this morning. Sometimes you can spray the weeds in your garden, but if they're big, 
they're still very visible, aren't they? They might be dead, but they're still there and you've still got to step over them to get somewhere. And our lives are like that, aren't they? You look at the children of Israel. When, when the children of Israel left Egypt, they left Egypt. They were free. They were saved from the Egyptians. Yet they brought a little bit of Egypt with them, didn't they? They brought the attitude and the lifestyle and the mindset of slavery from Egypt with them. And they needed to deal with that in the wilderness. God needed to deal with them in the wilderness. He, you know, they, they, they weren't slaves anymore, but they still acted like slaves. They had a wrong view of themselves and a distrustful view of God and a skeptical view of the future. This is what happens when we, when we get saved and we accept the promise of eternal life. Sometimes when we step out of our old lives and into this new life, I love the picture of baptism. You know, when, when we're baptized, you know, we go down into the water, which is the significant of the end of an old life. And then as we come up, this is the beginning of the new life. The crazy thing is it's the same body that you're pulling up, isn't it, out of the water? The same body. We've got a new life, but we bring up and we're still living in these same old skin. So we can potentially still have a distrustful view of God because our experience with leaders in the past, our experience with family, with parents, with teachers, with, with, with leadership in any form it has been a negative one and we attach that to God because we didn't let it die with us. We, picked, we brought it back up. I've shared with you in the past the, the story about um, Stockholm Syndrome. Over in Stockholm there was a, there was a kidnapping... And somewhere along the line in the kidnapping, the people who were kidnapped started to agree with the plight of the kidnappers. So all of a sudden, they were on the side of the kidnappers and they were, they were happy to be there. They started believing that these guys who had them at gunpoint were the good guys and the guys outside the police who were trying to set them free were now the bad guys. It's called Stockholm Syndrome. It's when a victim believes the same values as the aggressor then they stop believing the aggressor is a threat to their lives. Do you know what? We do that, don't we? We are here living on earth. And the temptations of earth and the, and the challenges that we have in relationships and, you know, we can, and the, the desires of the flesh, we start to agree with those things and we don't see them as a threat in our lives anymore. And we, we start looking at God as he's burdening me. We can see God as a burden. The people in, in Stockholm saw the police outside as a burden. They wanted to stay inside with the people who were holding them at gunpoint. We can do that with our Christian walk, can't we? We can be, have a little bit of Stockholm syndrome where we've accepted Christ as our saviour, where we've said, Lord, I, I, I'm yours, I'm, I'm in the boat. Yet we agree too much with the philosophies of the world, with the philosophies of, of, of consumption and with the philosophies of the, of the flesh. If we're going to move into a future that God has for us, we need to let go of those things. We need to be free of the mindsets that cling to the past. We cling to the past, don't we? We cling to the things that have, that have been done to us. We cling to the, the sins and the shame and the guilt. We cling to the successes. We cling to the finance that we've made, the house that we've bought, the car that we drove. We cling to all these things that are, that are just temporal. And God's saying, today... He's saying, I have promised you to get you out from under those burdens and I want you to cling to me. I want you to cling to my truth. I want you to cling to my hope. And if you cling to me, then you will experience the promise that I've given you. 
This promise is for any person whose past keeps limiting them. And when I pray for people, I pray regularly that no, yesterday has the right or has the capacity to rob you of any tomorrow. The only way your yesterday can rob you of a tomorrow is if you agree with yesterday. If you agree with what your yesterday says about yourself, then it can rob you of a tomorrow. If you agree with what this book says about you, then you can do anything tomorrow. Then you can do all things tomorrow. We can only do all things through Christ. We can't do all things through our yesterday's version of ourselves. It's different from rescue, isn't it? Salvation, rescue takes care of eternal life, whereas this promise takes care of life on earth. When God's, and when God saves us, he forgives everything we've ever done. But then our response to that is we need to make new habits. We need to make decisions based on his promise, not based on our habits of yesterday. So the challenge with that promise... See, every promise of God has a response required to it. When he wants to give you salvation, you've got to accept it. When he gives you the promise of pulling you out from burdens, for us, it's saying, Lord, give me a bigger vision. It's saying, I'm going to choose to make decisions not based on where I've come from, but based on who I'm in relationship with. I'm going to choose to do great things in his name. I'm not going to choose to be limited by what my name has become. The third one, he wants to redeem our life's purpose. He says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Redeem, it's one of those, it's a, it's a, it's a great word. It's central to our relationship with God. But here's, let me just unpack it very quickly. Redeeming our purpose, he says he wants us to regain possession of your life's original purpose. I think I've got a great picture of us killing some some um, New South Welshmen up there. You know, the reason I've got that is we need to regain possession. See, the only way that you can defeat the other sports team is to regain possession of the ball. The only way that you can cross the line and score a try is if you regain the possession. If someone else has possession of your vision or your purpose, if the, if the possession is on the ground, then you don't have it. You don't, God wants you to regain possession. And he said, I am faithfully promising you to redeem your purpose. And I'm going to do it with, he says, I'm going to do it with an outstretched arm. And he says, look, I'll go first. I'll reach out. What are you going to do? You've got to accept the hand of the Lord back into, back into his purpose. He says, I'm going to do it with an outstretched arm and I'm going to do it with mighty judgments. What are the judgments? Are? The judgments, are, it's the Lord saying, hey, vengeance is mine. See, there's a lot of things that have happened to you in your life. There's a lot of things that have gone down and you, you, know, you go, hang on, someone needs to pay for those things or, or, or maybe I need to pay for those things. Someone's, sometimes things have been done to you. Sometimes things have been done by you. And either way, the Lord says, hey, I have forgiveness for you, but vengeance is mine. I will take care I will take care of everything. He took care of Egypt. He put them through plagues. You know, Israel didn't have to do anything. All they had to do was walk out the door and and head towards their purpose, head towards the promised land, head towards Canaan. And he said, I will take care of those who have hurt you. I will take care. How's How how, how amazing is God at taking care of things, of aligning things, of saying, I'm going to reach out. 
I'm going to pull you up and I'm also going to take care of everything that has been done to you or from you. But we need to see that for, for us, purpose, it's, I love the concept of football because it, it, it's about having the ball. If you don't have the ball, you can run across the try line all day, but you don't get any points, do you? You can run around the field without the ball all day, but you get nothing. In fact, it's easier without the ball because the, the opposition's not trying to tackle you. Do you ever notice that when you find your purpose in life, when you align yourself with the things of God, life just happens to get harder all of a sudden? Well, it was so much easier before I knew my purpose. It was so much easier before I had the ball. You know, when you're running along and, 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 and JT passes the ball to you, you've got the ball. All of a sudden, every New South Welshman wants to kill you. When you're running along life and you're purposeless, you know, you're, you're, you're sweet, you know, you're doing your thing, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're um, dancing, you're, you're, um, you're, you know, you're, you're having the time of your life, and then all of a sudden God redeems your purpose. He passes you the ball and he says, hey, head that way, make a score for the king of kings. All of a sudden everyone wants to get you. And when I say everyone, I'm thinking about the enemy, the world, the flesh. You know, they, why do you want the purpose? Why do you want the purpose if it's so hard? He's saying, why? Because I get glory. People get saved. People get set free. When you grasp your purpose, humanity is blessed. It's tough. It's not easy. It's not easy holding the ball. But when you've got the ball, I can do a work with you and I can surround you with great people. I can surround you with the front row who's going to protect you as you bust through and do things. He says, I've got, he says, angels hearken to the word of the Lord. In, in Psalms, angels attend to the word of the Lord. When we embrace the word of the Lord, when we embrace his purpose, you know, there's an army of angels that are going before you. Front row angels. Your purpose is not to have a sound character or to behave yourself. Your purpose isn't to memorize the Bible or to attend church. These are not your purpose. These, these, are, these are great and vital and important things in your life, but they are not your purpose. Your purpose is to understand that he has set you apart to be alive and present in the world for him to give him glory. That's your purpose. And it looks slightly different for everyone. We're all doing different things, aren't we? He's created us with big hearts, full of godly desires. He's created with, with us to, to, with, a, with a different slant on things. Some people, you know, I was playing cards with the, with the, team, the frog team over the weekend and little Josh smashed us all and then did a victory dance around the table. But in that, you know, they, they, were, having, they were saying that the sport that I follow, AFL, is for ladies and that NRL is is for men. You know, everyone's got slightly different perspective, don't they? And we all do, don't we? Some of you, I'm telling the sports stories and you're going, you shouldn't be talking about sport in church. You should be talking about knitting or whatever. I don't know. What's the other? I don't know what, what the other side is. You see, through the cross, he's promised to heal our broken hearts. And in this, this is where we discover and we activate our original intent. Because let me tell you, everyone, as soon as they were born, as soon as they sinned, lost that original intent. How did we lose it? We lost it through three things. We lost it through falling in love with the world. 
We lost it through falling in love with ourselves and we lost it through listening to the lies of the enemy. These are the three ways we lost our purpose. We didn't even realise that they happened, but they happen. They're the three things that happen to every one of us and that's how we lost our purpose. That's how we lost our identity. And he's saying, I've come to redeem it back. I've come so that I can give you back the ball so that you can carry it, so that you can score. How did it happen with the world? The world, we became victims of our circumstances and situations. We've all grown up in different things, some great, some horrific. You know, we're, we're, we're all, there's a circumstantial or a situational influence on our lives. There's an economy. You know, there's a, you're born in this nation or that nation. You know, 250,000 Syrians have been killed in the last year or so. You know, when you think about how tough it is to be born in Australia, think about the circumstances of someone in another nation. We are all, we've all got challenges. We've got first world challenges. We've got to decide to give up our devices for a day. That's one of our challenges. Can we live a whole day without our devices? Crazy, isn't it? We become victims of circumstances and situations. What about, what about the self? When we put ourselves first... This is what we do. We step out of God's will and we begin to hurt other people. As soon as, as soon as I'm on top of my list of important things in the world, then I step out of God's will and I begin to hurt you. What about the old devil? We love to give all of them to the devil, don't we? It's all the devil's fault. He's got a few things, but we've got to, take, you know, we've got to say, hey, some of them are ours. Selfishness is mine. You know, the fact that I'm in love with the, with the things of this world is another one of mine. But the old devil, he's got deception, doesn't he? He's got the, the lies of the devil, the wiles of the enemy, it says in Ephesians. When we believe the, the lies of the enemy, we become deceived. Hope is, hope is lost because we don't see it anymore because we've believed in a lie. So all of these things blind us of our purpose, don't they? And he said, hang on, I will redeem the purpose through outstretched arms. In other words, he will take action first. With mighty acts of judgment, he will take care of vengeance. He will take care of righting the wrongs that have happened. Your job is to receive the purpose afresh, to step back into the purpose. Some of you are so far from your purpose is you don't know how to step back into it. He's saying, forget about trying to resolve yesterday. He's saying, I've got enough mighty acts of judgment to resolve your yesterdays. Leave that with me and, ex- and start to think about what you could do with me in the future. So what's our response? If there's a situational thing, if it's the world, we tend to, we tend to uh, feel like victims in that place, don't we? And, and legitimately, a lot of the times, legitimately are victims. What's our response Our response is always forgiveness. You see, the way that we deal with the circumstances of life is through forgiveness. The way we deal with selfishness, which forms in our lives through sin and shame, is confession or repentance. And the way we deal with the devil, who who forms in our lives through deceptions, is we abide in his word, in his truth. We allow his truth to get into our lives so that the lies of the enemy can be exposed and we can walk free. Here's the thing with football. You cannot catch the lightning pass from JT as he's running from the back line if you're holding on to something else. If you're holding on to unforgiveness, 
if you're holding on to shame, if you're holding on to a false belief, you cannot accept the purpose of God. He's saying, I have a promise to redeem your purpose, but you've got to act. what's your response? Your response is you just got to let go. Let go of the other stuff. Let go of the shame. Forgive those. As soon, do you know what happens? As soon as you forgive someone, you know, things happen to them. I don't know whether they accept your forgiveness or not. That's up to between them and God. But do you know what happens to you? As soon as you forgive someone, the burden is released from you. And then you're more well able to receive the purpose of the Lord for your life. You're called to be in lifelong, serious relationship with God, on purpose, in His will, scoring in His name, giving Him all the glory. He says, I have all authority. Jesus says, I have all authority. He says, you know, you're going to have trouble in this world, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And he says, I love at the end of, he says, you know, go and, and, and make disciples of all nations. And, you know, and then I love how he leaves it. He says, and lo, I'll be with you always. See, it's as we embrace his purpose, as, as we drop everything else, we pick up his purpose, then there's clarity of life. And the last one, He's claimed us as his people. No matter what you think you're worth, God has chosen to claim you as his. Doesn't matter what you think of yourself. Doesn't matter how low you think you are. Doesn't matter what you've come through. He's decided to claim you as his people. And he's asking you to accept that adoption. He says, you know, I've adopted you as sons and daughters. As soon as you accept me, as soon as you receive my salvation, I've adopted you into the family. That's a promise that is sealed. Sons and daughters restored through adoption. Like we said in baptism earlier, you know, when, when, when we get baptized, it represents our old life ending. And when we come back up out of the waters of baptism, it represents our new adopted life as sons and daughters of the King of all kings. How do we deal with it? How do we respond to, how do we respond to, to God claiming us as his people? We respond through one thing, through praise. You see, whatever we praise is the head of our life. Whatever we praise, we lift up above everything else. When we praise something other than self, we're denying self, like Jesus asked us to do, and we discover in each other the goodness of God. If I'm looking for praise, if I want you to include me in your praise, then I'm not seeing what God's doing in your life because I'm looking for your praise. When I'm giving God all the glory, what happens then? When I give him glory, I get to see his glory in you. I get to see his goodness in you. See, when, when, we, when we acknowledge him, this is why we always worship in church first. This is why we always praise first. Because when we praise him, we gain clarity on earth. And we get to see not only ourselves as his people, but we get to see the people around us as his people. You're no longer someone who I actually have to have relationship with. You're now my brother. You're now my sister. And I can see the Lord in you. I can see through your challenges. I can see through your yesterdays. And I begin to see the purpose that God has on your heart. Whoever gets the praise in your life is who you give authority as the source of your worth. 
Whoever gets the praise in your life is who you give the authority as the source of your worth. Whatever you praise, you give authority to in your life. Whatever you give authority to is what declares your worth. If you give me your praise, if you give your husband or your wife or your children your praise, you give them the authority to declare your worth. Praise belongs to one source, the King of kings and Lord of lords, because he's the only one with the wisdom, with the insight, with the perfection to declare your true worth. And he has said, I declare you in Christ, holy, righteous, perfect, white as snow. That's who I want, declaring my worth. And I know that's who you want, declaring your worth. We, we tend to forget the promises of God when we get consumed with the present. That's why we've used that verse this year of he's given us a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. If we live looking down at the present, we get confused about the promises that are ahead in the past. It's vital that each of us remember these promises. Every day, in our day-to-day lives, these promises are pillars. And we become these inheritance creators. We become people who establish a platform for the next generation. Like Ben said with his father, teaching him to pray. We become those people when we, when we stand on his promises. When you teach your children how to pray, when we teach them the word, when we teach them where the hope truly belongs, and we talk about eternal life, you know, every promise of God is a pillar for you to stand upon so that you can declare his greatness to this generation. So what's our response? Will you accept his promise of eternal life? Will you learn a new type of thinking in response to him releasing you of the burdens of yesterday? He's he's promised you a restored purpose. Will you forgive? Will you confess? Will you follow Christ so that you can get free to catch the ball? And he's promised you that you are part of his family? Will you praise him first? Will you choose to praise the King of Kings first? Why don't you stand with me this morning? Consider your response to the King of Kings. We're going to end with a CD today. Why don't you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, we thank you that it is by your Son whose life, whose death, whose resurrection has purchased us, has purchased us the rewards of your promises. So, Father, we thank you for that this morning, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that as we consider the mysteries of heaven, as we consider the mysteries that, that seem unattainable in our efforts, Lord, we ask that, that they be imparted to us this morning. Lord, as we, as we in our efforts begin to imitate Christ, we ask, Lord, that, that those promised things would be obtained in our walks. Lord, I just ask that you'll bless each and every person in this house. Lord, as we walk out, as we, as we gather around in families this time of year and consider your son becoming human, Lord, we thank you, Father, from the depths of our heart. We thank you and we lift up your mighty name. You know, for, for across this house this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to meet Christ as your Savior. You know, he's given you 
a promise. We read in John 3.16 that great promise of eternal life. He said, I've laid down my life. I've sent my son, my only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. If that's you this morning, if you want eternal life, why don't you raise your hand with me this morning and we'll pray with you. Thank you, Father. If you want to choose Christ as your Savior, if you want to be set free in the name of Jesus Christ, if you, want to, if you want to declare him as Lord of your life, why don't you accept that this morning? Thank you, Father. And Father, for every other person in this house, Lord, we ask that your blessing and your favor be upon them, Lord, as we step in to the final week of this year, Lord, as we, as we consider Christmas, as we, gather around, as we gather around as families, Lord, to lift up that mighty name of Jesus, we thank you. We give you praise. And we go in your mighty name, the name of Jesus. And all the people of God said together, Amen. All right. Have a great day, everyone.